Dear fellow redeeming, we consider especially our first reading from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 64. And as we begin, Advent, the time of blue up front, a time of waiting, a time of anticipation, a time of hearing again the Old Testament prophecies, the prophecies that God had begun there at the tree with Adam and Eve, and then that he had put a timeline and a face to when he spoke to Abraham around the year 2000 B.C. 2000. 2000 years before Christ was born. And God said, Look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. Out of your own family will come one who will be the ruler over Israel. And over time, over time, God kept fulfilling that promise progressively more and more as he added more detail, as he formed that nation out of that Abraham, who was by himself as good as dead by his own attestation. He and his wife had a child when he was 100 years old, and Sarah was like 25 years past drawing Social Security. And over time, they were expecting, maybe now, Maybe now, maybe now that we have a place, maybe now that we have been settled in the land, maybe now that Jacob has returned with his, um, with his dozen children and their families, maybe now when God is bringing his people out of the land of Egypt and their slavery, or maybe now with all of the prophets, all of the judges during that time when they were finally settling the land, well, really, they didn't care too much for God at that point. But then they got a king. And then they got a better king, <laughs> King David, and maybe now. Maybe now, what about now, when Solomon, his son, the one to whom God had given wisdom beyond par, beyond equal, Solomon was on the throne, it was a time of peace and prosperity, of the kingdom of Israel from sea to river. Maybe now that the temple has been built. Maybe now. How about now when there is so much prosperity in, in, um, in the land of Israel that gold is as common as silver and silver is common as stone. And through it all, God's people wait. God's people wait. And what do they do? Well, you can read your Old Testament history, you can review some of your Old Testament history, and you're probably acquainted with at least a portion of it, the cycle of the people remembering God and praising God, forgetting God, turning away from God, God sending or allowing others to come and discipline his people, to attack his people, the Babylonians come, the Assyrians demolish the ten northern tribes and there are barely heard from ever again. The people are carried off into captivity. Maybe you remember the cycle as God's people got tired of waiting. There was a thousand years between Abraham and the first king. A thousand years from Abraham to King Saul and the people wondered when is he finally going to come? Almost, well, about 250 years after King Saul, we get this prophet Isaiah. 
This prophet Isaiah who has said that, you know what, the whole thing about waiting for your God is that you don't have to wait, number one. You don't have to wait for him to come down in power. He's already done that. Oh, that you would rip the heavens and rip the heavens open and come down. Mountains then would quake in your presence. And the people of God were like looking around at the time of Isaiah. Where is the temple? Where is the worship? Where is the nation? Where is the coming Messiah? The temple is there, at least for another almost 200 years, 150 years. The temple is there, but where are the hearts of the people? Going through the motions, forgetting what it means to wait. Oh, that you would rip the heavens open and come down. Isaiah is basically saying, God, why don't you come and demonstrate your power? Terrify the people and remind them of who you are, that you are not a God to be trifled with, that we don't just waltz into your presence as if it is one option among many, but that we come before you in fear. Fear, yes, being afraid, yes, respect, even greater, in faith. And you see what Isaiah is doing here as, he, as we read through this together. You see what Isaiah is doing. He is calling people to repentance. And not just to the act of repenting, but to the attitude of repentance. Oh, that you would rip the heavens open and come down mountains with quake, and, um, and you would make your name known to your adversaries, and the nations would be terrified before you. Isaiah knows, from the word of God, from history, Isaiah knows that God is a God of power and justice. That if God simply said the word, snapped his divine fingers, then the nations would run away in fear. And then he's like, but wait, you've done that. They had stood there at the foot of Mount Sinai, hearing the trumpets getting louder and louder, feeling the ground quake beneath their feet, smelling the sulfur of the smoke billowing up from Mount Sinai. And they said, Moses, you go, we don't want it. That's a little scary. And so God calls his people to repentance. God calls his people back to this attitude of repentance, not just a one-time repenting, but an ongoing attitude of repentance. That is, an attitude of waiting. He says, you know what, this whole ripping the heavens open and coming down, God has done that, and he has demonstrated that he's not a God to be trifled with. But at the same time, what he wants are hearts. What he wants are people who recognize that the attitude of repentance is the ongoing truth of the Christian life, not just a one-time punctiliar action that happens every so often. That I have to, um, I did something wrong, I offended somebody, I hurt somebody, I need to repent to them, I say, I'm sorry. Usually they say, it's okay, don't worry about it, and they should say, I forgive you. Or, I think I am coming to church, and I need to sit here, and I'll stand up, and I'll say with everybody else, I confess that I've sinned against you, thought, word, and deed. I've done what is evil and failed to do what is good. That the act of repenting happened. As if that were it. But he calls us back and he says, you know what, it's not about the simple act of repenting, but the attitude of repentance. The attitude of repentance that knows that I don't bring anything to God of my own merit, that if there is anything good within me, that is his work 
the attitude of repentance that recognizes that this is the ongoing truth of the Christian life. That if I want to improve my, my godly living, then I don't need a list of what to do and what not to do. Just look at the stack of um, you know, annual planners that we always buy at the beginning of January and then, you know, we're not using them by the time February rolls around. You don't need more guidance on what to do and when to do it. What you need is the attitude of repentance, which is an attitude of waiting. And so Isaiah says, you know, it's not about God terrifying us with his wrath, and it's not about God cajoling us or trying to coerce us into a one-time action of repenting, but an ongoing attitude of repentance. You have come down. You did amazing things that we did not expect. You came down mountains quick because of your presence. And from ancient times, this has never happened. Any other god, fake gods all, demonic at best, any other god has never walked among his people. Any other god has only been far off, unapproachable, unavoidable, and never satisfied. No other god, no ear has understood, no eye has seen any god except you, who goes into action for the one who waits for him. Did you catch it? That this attitude, not a one-time action of repenting that happens every so often, but the attitude of repentance is one that waits for God to act. The attitude of repentance is this attitude of waiting that says, I know that I don't bring anything to you, Lord, and that if anything good is going to happen, it has to be all of you. I can't do it for myself. You meet anyone who joyfully practices righteousness, who remembers you by walking in your ways. And he's just saying again and again, dear Christian, do you see that as God's people waited a thousand years, two thousand years, how many generations? Fifty generations, your great, 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 fifty-nine or forty-nine times great-grandfathers were the ones who heard. And then God acted. And you see how he acted. I mean, we, will, we celebrate at Christmas Eve, uh, we celebrate the, the coming, the appearing of this Messiah. But here on the first Sunday in Advent, it's kind of this strange reading that catches the ear. We all stand and rise, and we have that reading from Mark chapter 11. <laughs> what is this, Palm Sunday? I thought we usually talk about, like, you know, John the Baptist or maybe something kind of Christmassy and it's blue up front and now I'm all discombobulated. I don't even know what state I'm in right now. Uh, maybe it's just a state of confusion and that's it. But you see, the waiting that Isaiah encourages and the ongoing attitude of repentance is this attitude that says, you know what, I know that I don't bring anything good to God. I know that all of us have become like something unclean, and even the best that I have to offer is, is tainted by the, uh, the motives of my mind, or the perverse joy of the benefits that I get from acting properly. All of us have withered like a leaf, and our guilt carries its way like the wind. And if we are to wait properly for our Lord, that truth isn't just a truth that we hear, but a truth that we hold. 
that truth, that the act of repenting isn't just a one-time action that we do every so often, but it's an ongoing attitude that says, you know what, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, yes, it has to be on His terms, and yes, it has to be the fact that I can't bring anything to Him, and that even if I do my best, even if I do my best, I can't. And that is the attitude of waiting. That says, I need to wait for God to act. I need to be the one who is sitting here and saying, you know what, I, I can't do it myself. I'm as helpless as, um, as helpless could be. But then we get our gospel reading, which the theme and the whole idea ties it all together. That to a people who are waiting, to a people who have tried the punctiliar action of repenting every so often, to a people who have been trained by waiting and knowing their Bible history to see that waiting is the attitude of faith and the ongoing reality of repentance, that the Savior comes to them. That he comes being carried along on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He comes not, not by their action, but certainly in response to their need. He comes prompted along only by his grace, and he is received and is welcomed by those who have been waiting. Waiting in this attitude of repentance. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, that word, Lord save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark records, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Where the people that day echoed back and forth the truth. That they had waited a thousand years for God to give them a victorious, triumphant king. And they doubted it. It wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough because if it only were up to King David, King David would not have been able to accomplish anything. And it wasn't enough because it was a temporal and temporary kingdom on earth. But the greater descendant of that king would be the one who reigns on David's throne forever. Would be the one who finally comes to save his people, not from the enemies that surround, but from the evil within he finally comes to save his people who have been waiting and waiting. Don't know if it was, we don't know how much longer the waiting is going to go on. And so Advent comes around. Advent comes around after about 25, 26 weeks, half a year of being green up front, the season of Pentecost. Advent comes around to remind us that we are a people who wait then that is the attitude of God's people because that is the attitude of repentance that says not by human flesh and blood but only by the action of our God. We are people who wait because that is the story of God's church for all time. That God had said to Adam and Eve, you're going to have a descendant who will be the champion, the one to crush the serpent's head. And they thought, you know, this firstborn Cain, he's got to be the one. And God taught them to wait. That after 75 years with no children, that God spoke to Abraham. And it was another 25 before that promised son would be born. There would be another 2,000 
before the promised Messiah would be born. And you see what God is doing. He takes our microwave instant life, turns it upside down, puts it on pause, and says, take a seat. Take a seat. Because it's not about your doing, your action, your acting of repenting. But it's the attitude that says, all things will happen in God's time. And all I need to do is sit and watch. Sit and see that this God who definitely has the power to terrify, he has come down, he has made mountains quake and shake, and he can go through Egypt and annihilate the firstborn. He can go through the camp of Sennacherib of Assyria, and he can kill 186,000 in one night, that this God is not a God who is wimpy, but a God who calls his people to wait. And so Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You've done that. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us to wait. No eye has seen any God except you who goes into action for the one who waits for him. And as we begin another church year, we begin with that gospel lesson where we see God going into action, going into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, acting for his people to the cries, the shouts of Hosanna, Lord, save us. Of that God going into action as he would go on to that cross and that empty tomb. Of the God who still comes into our presence, not on a donkey, but carried by word. Of the Jesus who still comes into our presence, together bound in, together with the water of holy baptism. Of that Jesus who still hides himself and is received to the shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he hides himself to remind his waiting people that God is the one who gives you this attitude of repentance. That God is the one who teaches you to wait. And oh, by the way, the God of power and might, he has already acted for you. And so take and eat, take and drink for the reminder again of this God who has given you all that you need, of this God who has always worked by teaching people to wait. Whether it was Adam and Eve, Abraham, David, all the nameless millions between the time of Abraham and Christ, or from then until now. Blue is the color of God's people as we wait for our King. Amen. Amen.